one of the words that I keep hearing in my home, that more and more is the word mine. And it's never mine phrased as a question. It's always an emphatic statement of truth about something. And we were all born with this strong, stubborn commitment to our own personal wants, really our own personal kingdoms, every single one of us. I could have taken plenty of footage this week of my precious 20-month-old daughter to prove that to you this morning. We, we have had no deep theological conversations about her kingdom versus God's kingdom. I have not read any books to her about how to fight for what's hers and what she wants. She knows quite clearly how to fight for what she wants. And this started before she could even hold her head up, right? And so this poses a problem, not only in our home, but for all of us, because every other person's kingdom, especially God's, competes with our own personal kingdom, our own personal wants. Yet this incredible thing happens as we have been saved by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. As you and I become new creations and the Holy Spirit works in us to shift our allegiance from worship of self and our own kingdom to worship of Christ and his kingdom. He changes what we want. He changes whose kingdom we live for. And that will be the only way that the counsel we receive from Jesus this morning, these words from Jesus in Luke 12, will be what you want to hear as you sit here this morning. The only way that it will be a comfort to you and good counsel for your soul is if you are in Christ, if his kingdom is truly what you want. This morning, we get to look at how Jesus cares for his people, how he shepherds the people of God through his care and counsel. The previous text I preached was actually in Luke 11, just a chapter ago, where Jesus warns sharply the Pharisees and the lawyers. He calls them fools. He condemns them for their hypocrisy. There seems to be a different tone in Luke chapter 11 for the enemies of God. Even while speaking the truth in love, even while counsel is being given, there's a different tone in chapter 11 than we find here in chapter 12. We have the same Jesus speaking truth yet again, but with words that fit this occasion. A different audience at a different time with a different message. And so we, we think, I think we see here Jesus tenderly care for the sheep, care for his sheep. Sheep that are distracted by the cares of this world, as we've seen all throughout chapter 12. Sheep who fear for their physical death and fear man and want what others have and long for riches, to be able to relax and enjoy life, to store up treasures, worries about food and clothing, worries about tomorrow, worries about living a long life. All of those things come up just within chapter 12. So he speaks to a people distracted, anxious about many things. He'd been talking to the crowd, and then in, it seems in verse uh, really 13, verses 22, second half of this chapter, he begins to shift 
to a more specific group, to the people sitting in the first few rows, to his disciples, his friends, the people who love him and know him. And in these three verses, we receive counsel from Jesus for distracted hearts. Counsel from Jesus for distracted hearts. Verse 32 reads, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. His first counsel in this section for distracted hearts is, Fear not, you have all you need. Verse 32 really contains some of the sweetest words we have recorded from Jesus in this account. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Such comfort and hope and care from Jesus. Do you need to hear these words after the week you've just had? Fear not. As we frantically run around, as we frantically ran around this week, accumulating and saving and and triple-checking our investments, working and distracted and depressed and concerned in ungodly ways, Jesus gives us these words, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you everything you need, to give you the kingdom. I have needed to hear that again and again and again this week as I have studied this text. And we may be tempted to come back with a lot of things to that or to add on to that, but my investments have disappeared. My spouse has lost her job. My house isn't worth what it was when I bought it or I can't afford a house right now. And just wait for the recession that's coming. What am I going to do then? Fear not. Maybe it's not financial, or in addition to financial, there are other worries. What if someone else is chosen for the position? Do I even have any real friendships in my life? Will I ever get married? If I do, will they be faithful to me? Will I ever be able to have kids? If I do, what will they turn out like? What about my health? Will I get cancer, or when will I get cancer? What if I get Alzheimer's? On and on and on. Your health, your money, your relationships, your achievements, any of those things can easily distract us and just get us into a spiral of anxiety and worry. Fear not, little flock. Little flock was a metaphor used all throughout the Old Testament, pointing to God's chosen people, and we see it here applied to the disciples of Jesus speaks to many things, the small number of disciples, this little flock, but also to the care that we can expect from the shepherd. Disciples are like a little flock that this heavenly shepherd cares for, as we see Jesus talk about in John 10. The same Jesus is going to prove his love for this flock by laying down his life for them, for us, which is also described in John 10. The shepherd knows every single name of every single sheep. He knows every concern that you've had this week. He knows every distraction that tempted you this week. 
He knows your exact situation, and it is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. So Jesus invites them to leave their fear about whatever they are prone to fear. He's talked a lot about finances and and things of this earth and material things. But to leave whatever it is that you're prone to fear and seek something else instead, something that he will gladly give you, that he's more than willing to give. And Jesus tells them that what the Father gives, the kingdom, is not manipulated out of him. We don't have to convince the Father to give it to us. We don't have to work to achieve it or or talk him into just a little portion for us. He is glad to give it. It's his good pleasure. The very kingdom they have just been told to seek is actually a kingdom that is given to them gladly. Good pleasure could be translated, it pleased God or even God chose it gladly. And I think this can fight against some of our natural thoughts of God at times. Especially when things are hard. That he doesn't really want to be kind and generous to his children. That he's not gracious towards us, but wants to make life hard. Jesus says to them, you do not have to fear. You do not have to live in constant worry and anxiety with distracting cares because it's the good pleasure of the Father to give you all you need. Even if you just think about the things that fuel your fear the things that ratchet up your anxiety. Worry, all of those things can never give us what God gladly gives us. This is a kingdom, a kingdom under Jesus Christ's perfect rule. And we enter into God's kingdom when we turn to his son, Jesus Christ, in repentance and faith. We enjoy this kingdom. And we will enjoy it fully when Jesus returns establish his kingdom forever. So with these words from Jesus, we have a sure promise that we will never be lacking what we need most. Everything we strived for so hard this week that subtly we begin to think will satisfy. Jesus says that he will actually give us and has already provided everything that we actually need. So right now, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the citizen of that kingdom, a kingdom that will never fade, never rust, or be taken away from you. The king of that kingdom rules over every detail and situation that could possibly distract you or discourage you today. And long after the kingdoms of this world and the kings of this world are gone, destroyed, forgotten, You will reign with your king in his kingdom forever. And these words from Jesus are only good news if this is the kingdom you want. If what you truly want is your own kingdom come and your own will be done, then these words will just be words that we read as we work through the gospel of Luke. They won't be words that help cast out fear and anxiety and worry. Because Jesus doesn't promise them that they will be financially set for the rest of their lives. He doesn't promise them that they will be liked by everyone they meet and impress 
people that they work with. Or that they'll grow in YouTube fame, be admired by their peers. He doesn't even promise them how many years they will have on this earth. Or that those years will be full of health. And that we won't experience loss. He promises that the rule and reign of God will forever be for them. Is that enough? Is that good news to you? That what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 2. And he has gladly, generously chosen to give this to his little flock. So I believe people who have been promised this, who have been given this by a sovereign ruling king, have no need to be weighed down by distracting cares. We have no need to fear. Paul Tripp wrote, we think we know what is best for us, but we don't. We think we're able to rule our own lives, but we aren't. We set our hearts on things that we think will make us happy, but they won't. We think that we can defend ourselves against temptation, but by ourselves we can't. Every human being is in need of a king. All human beings need the rescue, forgiveness, justice, mercy, refuge, and protection that they are unable to give themselves. The beauty of the work of Christ is not only that in his life, death, and resurrection we're offered forgiveness forever, but that with it we are welcomed into the kingdom of the universe's most powerful and only perfect king. He blesses us with what no human kingdom can ever give. He showers us with forgiveness, reconciliation, peace, and hope. He protects us when we don't have the sense to protect ourselves. He rules over all the moments that seem to us to be out of control. He sets up his kingdom in our hearts, rescuing us from all the other things that would rule us. And he patiently teaches us that we weren't created to live as kings, anxiously working to set up our own little kingdoms. He teaches us what it means to rest in his kingship and live for his glory. And he encourages us with the truth that his kingdom will never, ever end. Are you loading kingly burdens on your shoulders today, trying to build what you cannot build and forgetting what God has already built for you? Or are you resting in the peace that it is the good pleasure of your Lord to give you his kingdom? Fear not. You have all you need. This does not mean that the difficulties and concerns of life go away. The child with a disability, the husband with financial problems, uncertainties about health and conflict and brokenness and your past, but the promises God makes have far more weight. Our Father is God, and it is his pleasure to give us himself and his kingdom. So fear not. His second word of counsel in this section for distracted hearts is to invest in what will last. So fear not because you have all you need. And then out of that, begin to invest in what will last. Verse 33 reads, sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So here in this section, this next verse, Jesus counsels them with some very practical things that they can be doing to live as if they actually have all they need. To use the possessions of this life to bless those in need because they know the Father gives them a kingdom and a treasure that cannot be taken away, cannot rust, cannot be destroyed. And as we've talked about, Pastor Eric has talked about in previous weeks, it seems pretty clear that Jesus is not saying that possessions are bad, having possessions are bad. But he's emphasizing that believers must not be dominated by their possessions, must not be consumed by their possessions. This isn't even defining being a disciple as someone who just tortures themselves and deprives themselves in order to be more holy. It's not what Jesus is getting after, but warning his disciples of the distracting and even restricting power of possessions to show what it looks like to not be dominated by the things of this earth, to live for a better kingdom. Our possessions can be like a straitjacket if we're not careful. So fight against that temptation by holding them loosely, by giving, by training your heart to not love them so much. There's no doubt about it that more stuff brings more anxiousness and more worry along with it. Being a homeowner has many advantages, but less worry and less things to deal with is not one of them. It brings that along with it. The more you have, the more you can lose. And the more you love those things, the more it hurts when you lose those things. Jesus recognizes this. And while we are absolutely to enjoy the good gifts of God, don't miss that, we are also to loosen its grip on our hearts by being generous with everything that we have, not clinging with this death-like grip to what we will eventually lose anyways, but investing in what will last One way Jesus tells them to store treasures in heaven is to give it away on earth. It's one of the examples he gives here. Storing your treasure here points to accumulating, hoarding possessions as we see with the the rich fool a few verses back. Jesus gives an example here of how you can do the opposite of that. Instead of building storehouses to just keep more and more stuff, give it away. Care for those in need. Look for opportunities to give instead of to accumulate. A person that struggles to give to others is a person that likely struggles to believe that the Father has gladly given to them. Struggles to believe what we read in verse 32. That you don't have to fear because it's the Father's good pleasure to give you all you need. To give you the kingdom. So generously giving is a remedy given by Jesus to fight against materialism, to fight against the worries of the world. As we'll see in a minute in our last verse, our love follows our treasure. But along with that, I think we also see that our kingdom devotion is shown by what we treasure. 
whose kingdom we really value and, and live for is shown by our treasure and what we treasure. So as we've talked about in previous weeks, be rich towards God, which means being rich towards others. Have treasure in heaven instead of living for our own kingdom. The Father, having given us so much in giving us the kingdom, our generous Father calls us to the freedom of giving generously, to giving our lives away. Everything before Jesus was get. We become anxious because we want to get, or we're worried about what we got and how we might lose that. We long for the inheritance because we want to get. We finally relax because we've gotten, right? It's just give and get and, and, and pursuing these things. That's what life can become so easily if we're not careful. But here, when you come to the end of this long message from Jesus to the disciples, it's all give. Because you've been given, give. Because you are being given, because you've been promised this, give. He gladly gives to you so you can gladly give. There's a community all around us to reach out to, people to care for and to love, jobs to be done that we can be doing to give generously, not just financially. Live for a kingdom bigger than our own. And I don't think Jesus is saying that this one example is the only way that can be done. There is much that Jesus has said about this already and will say. But begin to do something for other people. Live as if this is not your home. That's the idea here. Live as if this is not the end for those who have been given the kingdom. It's not. Care for people well. Give to meet the needs of people. When, when this world, as we've seen even these last few weeks, is so confused and broken... We have such a time as this to speak into that, to be a people that are generous, to show off the goodness and the graciousness and the generosity of our Father. For some of you right now, much of that energy is just even being poured into your own home day in and day out. Teach your kids to give of themselves now. We so badly are tempted to want to give our kids everything, maybe all the things we never had, and allow them to experience all the things we never got to experience. But could we be making all of this harder for our kids because of the way we just give and give and give? Let's train and teach even our kids what it looks like to not view this as home. Instead, as we're tempted to be anxious about uncertainties and to, to fight for what's ours and to pursue the things that we believe will give us what we're lacking, we're called to leave the uncertainties of tomorrow to our Father and to spend today giving generously. In the cost of discipleship, Bonhoeffer states that worry is always directed toward tomorrow. Really, I think, in the future. We bring the future and its uncertainties into our experience of the moment. 
So we tend to live out our futures before they're even here, right? We imagine our futures before they get here. We imagine the next few moments before they're here. And that feeds our worry. And I think most of us in here ultimately know that that meeting that's coming up that we're thinking about or those friendships or that doctor's appointment or our kids' behavioral problems or our desire to have kids or the stock market, we know those things are all out of our control ultimately. But we still try our best to control it. We, we strategize, we plan, we build storage units, we run after things hard. And Bonhoeffer later comments, our abuse of earthly goods consists of using them as a security. Using the good gifts of God as a security to fight against these types of things. And here Jesus says, Instead of living in fear and worry, give it away. Invest in things outside of your own little kingdom. Paul encourages the Corinthians with this thought in 2 Corinthians. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are not that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's a different perspective of the things down here and our life here. This was seen so vividly in the life of John Patton. He was a 19th century Scottish missionary, and the native tribes living where he was headed practice ritual cannibalism. The first missionaries that went to these islands were killed shortly after they reached land. It was less than 20 years later that Patton prepared to sail there with his young wife. In his autobiography, Patton describes a conversation with a man that tried to convince the young missionary not to take the risk. The man pleaded with Patton, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. Think of what you could lose. Patton responded with this, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. What a perspective. What a perspective about his life and a perspective about what lasts and what will not last. A man that chose not just with his finances or possessions, but with his very life to invest in what will last. Jesus counsels his disciples here with these greater realities. His third and final word in this section for distracted hearts is to train your heart where to go. So fear not, you have all you, all you need. God has given you the kingdom. Invest in what will last and train your heart where to go. Verse 34 reads, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All of what Jesus is talking about here and, and what we're talking about this morning doesn't just happen overnight. 
We don't just wake up with all the appropriate affections and loves, with every idol destroyed and and hated. As long as we walk this earth, those things will still be apart. We'll still be fighting those things. Our love for the treasures of this world is real, though. We have to engage in the fight in order to lessen those affections. That's what we're called to do. It's what Jesus points them to and reminds them of, that this is a battle we must engage in. You are training your heart every single day what to love. Every single day by what you do and where you go and what you spend and what you think about, you're training your heart what to love. Every single one of us. The word treasure here really points to anything that is cherished. It's not just treasure like a, a pirate's treasure. It's, it's something we cherish, something that has value to us. So where the object that you cherish is, the thing that you cherish is, there your heart will be also. They're not disconnected, and it will follow The heart being just the control center for our soul, the the affections, the emotions, the will, thoughts. That's the way the scriptures talk about the heart. So what we treasure guides our hearts and at the same time reveals our hearts. So what do we treasure? A really significant factor when it comes to our hearts is And what rules it is where we are placing our treasure, either earthly treasure or heavenly, eternal treasure. If we allow our flesh to rule us, then we will live in pursuit of those temporal pleasures. Our life will be about those temporal pleasures. Our hearts will follow after those temporal pleasures. Those temporal pleasures will become very big in our heart's mind, what we pursue and love, care for. If we allow the Holy Spirit to work and rule in us and shape our affections, then we will begin to treasure Jesus and eternal things more, his kingdom more. So those earthly treasures then can be used to make much of God and in our love and affection for other people instead of being the end in themselves. So we can begin to strive and pursue things that endure forever. What we see Jesus saying is that the heart and the treasure go together. They are not disconnected. You can't have treasure and keep your heart separate from that. They go together. They're connected. And Jesus, other places later in in Luke, actually, talks about how you can't serve God and money. You can't have serve two masters in that way. You can't disconnect those things. So what you pour your money and your time and your energy and your thoughts into matters today. Because you lead and train your heart what to treasure most. I mean, I I can think about just silly examples of, of this as a kid in my own life, right? Where I would be in class, and some of you are with me on this, right? I'm just writing out the lineups from my favorite teams, I'm writing out the bench players, guys that never even saw the court, and I'm writing it out, and I'm thinking about it all the time. My mind is consumed 
by sports. And my heart follows that. They're connected. I love those things. I think about it. I breathe it. I'm trying to think about how I can pursue that career, how what I eat and how I exercise impacts that if I'm going to ever be able to do that. Right? All of my life is consumed by this thing. And what I pursue and think about and invest in and, and the money I spend to buy the jersey and to go to the games and all those things are connected. They're not disconnected. My love for that grows. Whether that's an object or a person. Whether that's the approval of man or the illusion of control that you have. Or just the idol of an easy life with no pain. If that's what you think about, if that's what you treasure, then your heart is going to love that and it's going to hate when things oppose that. It's going to fight hard against things that oppose those idols. So you and I do things each and every day to train our hearts, to love what will not last and care more about our own kingdom or to love what will last and forever worship the true and living king. I think this is such a a powerful insight from Jesus here in verse 34. One commentator on this passage wrote, the exact relation of treasure and heart is important. It's not allegiances that create behaviors, but behaviors that create allegiances. Proper habits that create proper dispositions. As Aristotle rightly maintained, if God does not own our possessions, then our possessions will own us. So choose today where you will store up your treasure. Because your heart will concentrate there. It will grow in love and affection for that thing, that person. I would encourage you even this week, even this afternoon, to kind of follow the trail of your treasure. Keep track. Maybe even financially, follow your financial trail. What does it show you that you value? Obviously, your mortgage is going to be a big part of that. But what do you value? What, what does your budget show you? I mean, that's just getting really practical. Uh, thinking through what you spend and how that shows you what you value, what you love, what you're training your heart to love, whose kingdom you're living for. Maybe it just shows that you love entertainment. You love escaping. You love comfort. Maybe it shows that you're just really stingy and you, you just want to save it all so that hopefully one day you have enough left to do the things you want to do. What about the same questions with your time? Just evaluate. Sit down as a family and think through what your schedule shows you that you value. That athletic career, I, I promise you, could be wrong about one person in here. Your kid is not going to play in the major leagues, okay? <laughs> so what are, you, what are you valuing with your time? What, is it, what are you teaching your kids to value? And, and again, these things aren't bad. But how are we prioritizing and thinking through what we're training our hearts to love, to live for? However, the, the only lasting solution here is not just reallocating your budget just fixing your calendar. Those are good things to do to help train your heart. 
but it's really a new affection for what God has given, who God is and what he's promised to you in verse 32. That's the reason you don't have to fear. That's the reason you can reallocate your budget and change your schedule is because you've been given everything that you need, Jesus Christ and the kingdom that he's graciously, generously given to you. That's why we can do those things. It's a heart that truly loves that kingdom more than the kingdom of self. When we live for our own kingdom, I think we flip the counsel of Jesus here on its head. When we live for our own kingdom, we live in fear. You know what that's like. All of us experience that. You live with constant worry and fear about tomorrow, about things that are upcoming, because we think we don't have all we need. We invest in what will not last. We invest in things that will be gone tomorrow. We invest in things that we cannot take with us. And we train our hearts to love this world and the things it offers us. That's what it looks like to to live for our own kingdom. The opposite of what Jesus has said here in these three verses. Instead, we're told to live for another kingdom, which looks like not fearing because we have all we need, which looks like investing in what will last, and which looks like training our hearts to love what matters. This is the peace we can have as the people of God. A peace that that is not seen in, in many of them in chapter 12 because they're so worried and anxious about all of these things. But we can have a peace because we have been graciously given what we did not earn and what can never be taken away from us. This is a comforting word today. I know it may not feel like that as we evaluate these things in our own hearts and lives, but this is a comforting word from our shepherd to remind us that there's a greater kingdom and it's been given to us so we can live differently today. Because of that truth, when you struggle this week to remember that, when worry and fear begin to creep in this week, when it gets real easy to just click on the thing you don't really need, but it's easy and it'll be here by 4 o'clock this afternoon, right? think on these things. Think on the counsel we receive from Jesus for distracted hearts in Luke chapter 12. I want to close by reading from Psalm 121. You can turn there if you want. It's not going to be on the screen. But this is sort of a a pilgrim's hymnal, they call it. As the Hebrew people would travel to Jerusalem, they would sing this together. And really what they were doing was just remembering and celebrating the, the works of Yahweh, remembering what he had done, remembering what was true that gave them confidence to live as his followers. These are the types of things Jesus was trying to remind his disciples of throughout this chapter. As they're prone to wander, prone to forget, let's remember who our God is. That's how we can fight against this. So let me just close by reading Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore.